everyone, I'm Caleb with Team Rockin' Cushions, and this is episode 9 of Rockin' Talk. The guest for today is Susie Eldridge. Susie is an interior design enthusiast and writer with a hilarious talk show called Two Tired Moms. She chats with Michelle about the silver lining she found in failure, starting life over in her 30s, and finding new passions in a brand new life. If you're at a crossroads right now, tune in for this inspiring and heartfelt episode of Rockin' Talk. Hope you enjoy! Hi everyone! Hi. <laughs> Welcome to Rock and Talk. We I just had a little bit of a heart attack because we I did. couldn't. Okay. <laughs> I could not for the life of me figure out how to go live right now. I don't know if Instagram has changed their buttons around. Sorry, it felt like it did. We didn't know what we were doing. Susie here, figured Hi. it out. This is my dear, dear friend, yes. Susie Eldridge. Hello. Um, and I'm so happy that you're here tonight. Yay, me too. I have not seen Susie in forever because forever. she went and got married and had a family. She did. And now she's a little preoccupied. Mm-hmm. But you've seen my kids. I know, they're so cute. Yes. They're and, really cute. And we have uh, Sesame Street playing. <laughs> it is, really. It's, where, oh wait, where do I look? Are we looking here? The I camera's just, up there, okay. yeah. Where are you looking? I'm looking. I'm just looking at you. Oh, okay, I'm gonna look at you too. Um, so this is One Direction, doing you. You know, are they still together? I don't know. Or did they go in different directions? One had a baby with someone. Oh, really? The uh, the girls, their sisters and their models. Sisters and models. Um, their sisters and models. One dated Cameron, Tyler Cameron. From the bathroom. I, I haven't seen any of these shows. Yeah, I'm not hip to what the kids are up to these no. days, but um. But we're hip to cute. Sesame Street. <laughs> Did we do the whole song? No, that's okay. <laughs> we gotta get. We gotta. We wanna talk about you tonight. Let's do it. Let's do it. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. And I just want to say, I. I really wanted Susie to come on tonight because we were just talking earlier about mm-hmm. everything that has changed since we've known each other. Yes. So we met in acting class. We did. Um, How many years ago? I mean, I want to say like 15 years ago. Yes. We were five. We were what? Five years old. Oh. It was, <laughs> yeah. a, it was a class for um, young, Babies. youthful <laughs> actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, and we just clicked and we just we did. stayed in touch. And it's funny because I feel like our... Careers have sort of taken the same path in a lot right. of ways. Um, we all started out, you know, we started out as actors and yep. we took it very seriously and we very. worked really hard. And we did. We did a lot of auditions and we did a lot of classes. A lot and of different like, managers and agents and blah, blah, blah. And then we both decided to just give it all yeah. up. Just chuck it. Just chuck like, it. like, screw that. <laughs> screw that decade. I know, seriously. <laughs> but it was the best thing, I think. Yeah. You know, because... Honestly, when you're chasing a dream or a career, mm-hmm. um, and you know it is, you have a, a you have a, a lot of you have to put a lot of work into yeah. it, but you get very little back right. in terms of recognition. Not even I'm not even talking about fame. I'm right. talking about just you know like feeling like what you're doing is worth something. Right, you're being rewarded for it in some Absolutely. small way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's so much rejection in yes. in acting and. You get to a point where you're just like, why am I putting myself through this? Like, I don't know. We were talking earlier, um, Susie was saying that you just felt like, you know, you didn't really feel like um, it was making you happy. Right. The the fun was taken out of it after a while. Absolutely. Like, I think what can often happen is 
you get on this path and you keep going and then you have people that come alongside and you get a team or you get agents or managers or even a community great community of actors and friends and then you're just kind of on this path and you're going and you're going and you're taking whatever jobs you can get and it for me at least it was like a decade before I checked in with myself and was like do I actually want to do this yeah is this fulfilling is it healthy you know or anything like that and so um I think you just and two, I'm a people pleaser, so I was always trying to make everyone happy. And I think that mm-hmm. was one of the hardest parts of like leaving that dream behind was feeling like I'm, I'm not letting myself down. I'm letting everyone else down. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. So I think that can be really hard and really challenging. Yeah. And and some of it is yes, people care about you and they want you to keep going because they believe in you and they believe in your talent. But I remember saying to myself like I cannot live off the vapor of hope anymore. It's true. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I just want to say, you know, people, um, you know, think that when you give up something, it means mm-hmm. that you've consciously failed or made right. a decision to fail. Right. But I really believe that it's kind of like that saying, you know, um, the definition of sanity is just doing the same thing right. over and over again and expecting right. a different result. At some yeah. point, you have to stop and pivot and really keep in mind what was the goal of this decision in the first place. Right. Because I exactly. think for a lot of artists in general, mm-hmm. the goal is because it's so fulfilling for us and we really love to do it. Right. And we just want to be able to make a living at mm-hmm. something we love to do. So if that's the goal, why don't we just switch it up and instead of going to endless auditions, right. trying right, right, right. a job or whatever, mm-hmm. why don't we turn to writing right. or blogging right. or doing a talk show? Right. Or doing something that can doing... kind of fill, fulfill that creative aspect or yeah. that desire to communicate because I think... At least for me, acting-wise, that was really what I loved about it. I loved that I had such a strong desire to communicate. And mm-hmm. whether it was someone else's words that I wanted to communicate or my own that I wanted to communicate, although I didn't write until out of complete desperation. But um, We're going to get to that. We're yeah, going to gonna get to that. <laughs> but um, I think I had such a strong desire to share the human experience. But right. there's so many different ways to do it. And exactly. So, yeah, and I mean, this year is, is such a perfect example mm-hmm. of how we all need to reevaluate um, the life that we've been living and the careers that we've yeah. been doing and really get back to, okay, what started me on this path to begin with? Mm-hmm. Um, is it working or do I need to switch it up so that I can continue and succeed? Yeah. Maybe in a, just in a slightly different path, you know? Totally. And I think for artists, our identity is so connected to our craft, whether whatever that craft is. So I think... In any other industry, if like if like my husband decided to change his career, he's a, a business executive, it wouldn't be a big deal. He's just changing his career. Like he was a lawyer before and now he's a businessman. Mm-hmm. And say he wanted to like own, I don't know, CrossFit. <laughs> I don't know if they do that, CrossFit. But say he wanted to own a CrossFit gym. People wouldn't look at him and necessarily say he failed at his career. They right. would say he made a career change. So... I think that's just unique to artists and yeah and to women too mm-hmm. I want to say yeah like, I feel like you know women are put in a box sometimes mm-hmm. they're sort of you know they they are seen as failures if they don't like make mm-hmm. a go of oh they don't succeed in like the first right. thing that they like go after um or they age out they age out yeah there's a that's lot of annoying. stigmas put on us yeah but I've um, had two geriatric pregnancies that's what they call it on my thing because I was oh oh yeah. right <laughs> For a second there, I had to think about what that was. <laughs> Old, Old is that like, called, right? yeah, this geriatric? Is, this is called geri- geriatric yeah. right here. And she popped two out, so yes. that's amazing. Well, they cut them out. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, 
That's something to write about. I know. Speaking of <laughs> writing, yes. When did you start so writing? How I got into how writing? How did that come together? And do you? What do you do now for writing? I mean, sure. do you have a. So, um, so a little bit of what I do now. Sometimes I'll help people on scripts. Really, people will like send me old scripts, scripts, and I'm terrible at spelling. So I'll like sometimes help with like story. Where does story go? What do I think about this? Sometimes I'll be asked to like make scripts funnier. Um. Yes, because Susie is the queen of comedy, I have Thanks. to say. She's hilarious. Trick to all you acting folks out there. Acting class, if you want to make it funnier, eat food while you're doing it. <laughs> I swear, it works every time. Um, so, um, but how I actually got into to writing. So, obviously, we read a lot of plays constantly. Mm-hmm. Like, even when I was way young, in high school, I grew up in Orange County. I would drive up to Samuel French. If it's still around, around since the pandemic. Uh, I think I closed, actually. Oh, my gosh. That's no. so sad. Um, but I would drive up to Samuel French, and I would just sit and read plays all the time, you know. And so uh, I had read so many plays, and during my first marriage, as that marriage was ending, um, I needed a way to express it, really. And um, so I started writing a play. This was before, before the divorce. I started <laughs> writing a play about a married couple breaking up. It's right. foreshadowing my own life. So, um, so Adam, like my desperation and like, oh, it was awful. I, I just wrote this play. And a friend of mine was on a TV show at the time and also held a, like um, an acting class, a Saturday morning acting class that was free and people would just come and bring their auditions or bring scripts they were working on or whatnot. And I brought it to him and he said, I want to workshop this. And because he was on television I think I told someone oh yeah it's so cool My what does that mean to workshop, workshop something so when you take like a really raw draft of a script or sometimes it doesn't have to be a raw draft it can be like the third or fourth draft but mm-hmm. still kind of raw you can sit down with actors and you actually when you hear someone reading those words you kind of have a sense of like what dialogue actually sounds like a normal human talking and what dialogue sounds like a writer in a very bad mood wrote it Mm-hmm. You know, so so it really helps to hear the words, and then then um, also it's exciting to watch. I remember getting to watch that, so it was the first kind of thing I had written, um, and getting to watch how like this audience, because you would sit with actors and and people would watch, like would watch like how the audience would react and how pissed off the guys would be, you know, because I was in marriage with him, you know, I'm writing about a very personal thing, and. Um, so, totally fictitious at this point. Yes, totally fictitious <laughs> at this point. And so um, you get to, you get to see how the audience responds to things, and then people would comment and take notes, and I would go back and I would rewrite parts and and so on and so forth. And it was so cathartic, really. But it was so much fun, so much fun to see people saying your words. And so that really, um, where acting had been like really hard to ever make money at it, um, that just from that one little play kind of snowballed into into kind of the career that I then walked away from <laughs> as well. So you started to, so what was your next gig after you did the play? Um, after I did that, then I, I um, had gone to tour um, Salvation, Salvation Army Vision Network. So I also really loved like nonprofits. And so Salvation Army Vision Network was like the Salvation Army's channel on YouTube. It was kind of like internet TV. And so then, then I got my first real gig writing there. And then wrote like a reality series for them and all kinds of all kinds of other things there. That's yeah. awesome. So would you say that like that was sort of like your 
um, obviously it was a turning point for you and a spark. Yes. But what happened? You said you'd left writing. Yes. What happened? So, so then, um, in that year, kind of, even though I was writing and kind of this whole new world began, my marriage then did really end. And that was, uh, if you've ever been divorced, um, <laughs> it's really hard and awful and terrible. And there's no other way to say that it's really shitty, yeah. you know? Um, and Michelle remembers cause Michelle totally walked me through that season. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, so when that happened, then it was just like, um, I think when it, when a marriage falls apart like that, it, you're just hope trying to find stability. So my career, oddly enough, was at a really great spot, and I went to North Carolina for a show that I had written was being produced, and it was really exciting, and I came back to L.A., and all these things were moving in my career, but what wasn't ever happening was, like, the stability, mm-hmm. you know? And then I also didn't know where I was going to live, so that was rough. And um, and I was, like, live, like couch hopping and living. Um, I did find a spot, but, like, my all my clothes smelled like my Ugg boots. Like, it was just rough. And, uh, you know, Ugg boots, because my Ugg boots were in my, like, duffel bag that I took everywhere. You know, super depressing. But, um, so, that was, like, a career high, writing that show, and then I came back and was writing and teaching, and, and I just, I was, I was in a meeting. There was, like, it was, it's interesting, because I think, for me, moments in my life really, specific moments would dictate when something was over. And so, I kind of had that experience in my marriage where I knew something had happened that we could never come back from. And then for my career, I was um, I was in a meeting in Malibu, and it's like the dream, like beautiful house having this meeting, and I could see the ocean. I mean, it's like what you picture in your mind, you know, what you would kind of want to happen, or what you picture in your mind at 18, you know. Like, a, mean, movie, like a movie meeting. It was like a movie meeting. When yeah. they're like, hey, come to Malibu. And yeah, Malibu. and it was about a script, and it was a really big deal, and it wasn't It wasn't like a Harvey Weinstein situation. Oh, no one yeah. was trying to sleep God. with me. And um, and we're very interested in executive producing the show that I had written, and I remember driving away in my, like, beat-up Corolla that was held together by duct tape and being like, I can't do this anymore. And it's like a, here for me. If you want it, you can keep going. And I just couldn't. I like mm-hmm. could not take another step forward. And so I got a little job at a church, like as a church secretary. And then I had to do a few things that I had promised I would finish doing. I think I was working on a couple scripts with other people that didn't sell, but I just kind of had to, you know, honor that commitment. And and then that was it. And then in that meantime, I met my current husband, and um, then. That happened, you know, and then. And then okay, you are skipping way too much. I know, I'm okay? skipping a whole bunch. Like a, a whole, whole bunch decade. happened. Yes, yes, it's yes. <laughs> but it is. It's so interesting when you when you say that. That ha- happens a lot, I think, mm-hmm. in people's lives. Where you just reach that point where, whether you want to or not, there's something inside you that makes you make an executive decision. Yes. Sometimes, I mean, most of the time, it's usually something that. Um, you know, uh, that forces us uh-huh. to kind of reflect. Like, a lot of times it's it's a, an accident, like a right. car accident. Right. Um, God forbid. Or, like, just, you know, maybe a divorce mm-hmm. or something. Like, you know, one of those, like, big events, disastrous events that happen in life that, that really pulls you into reevaluating things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's always a blessing in disguise. Yes. I mean... It was... I could have never thought... Because that year of my life felt so 
more than bad, it felt really terrifying because I had so clearly this vision in my mind of who I was and what my identity was and what other people thought of me Mm -hmm. um, that leaving all that behind, no longer being the wife, no longer um, being the actor, no longer being that person within my community was really terrifying. And I remember I would sit, I, I eventually got an apartment, this great studio apartment in Beachwood Canyon. So cute. And um, I remember, I was, this is so depressing. Sorry, guys. I would sit in my closet sometimes and I would be like, God, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. And I would just like say my honest truth, which was that I was so terrified. And then I would just like allow that fear to like dissipate, dissipate and then I would I'd be okay. And then I would be able to go on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So, but I have to say in the midst of that season, um, there were a lot of those cool moments where like, oh, I'll, I'll tell one story. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to tell a really quick story. It was a really, really cool story. And like, I still almost don't believe it happened. So there was one night, it was the morning I knew my ex-husband was going away and I had to like, I had to be gone out of the apartment in three days. And so it's so weird that people are talking. Hi everyone. <laughs> um, so I had to, like, I, I knew I had to go. I just found out. And so, and we're not on bad terms, but he was like, you know, it's good if you were gone when I got back. And so, I which like, is a really shitty thing to say. Right, I just get that. You know what? I mean, who does that? Like, I have a lot of love out. for him. Like, I, you know, Whatever. I, you know. <laughs> and so, we're not going to talk about him. He's we're not, not going to be on my show. Okay? The subject of the show. <laughs> so, um, I, I remember that, like, I had till Sunday evening that I needed to go. And so, so that Saturday morning, I'm like thinking, how am I going to pack up eight years of my life in like two days, right? And so I was, I had to like go to Marshall's to get a bin or something. I don't know. I probably like got a plastic bin and bought a cute belt. But, um, and so I'm like on my way back to my apartment to like face this mountain of how to move out. And I I was talking to my friend Elise uh, and I was like starting to cry. And she was like, you do not have time to cry today. And I was like, (gasps) okay. (laughs) And so I get back and I start like packing my stuff. And I would, I would have these moments where I would sit and I would get really, really scared. Mm -hmm. And I would just like almost paralyzed as you're like, you know, taking down all these things that seem to matter and now just feel like vapor. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would stop and I would sit and my poor little dog was watching me <laughs> and I would just like, God, help me, help me. And I would just like allow the fear again to just come come over me and then dissipate and then I would keep going. And there was one in particular time where towards the end of that day, I, I was sitting on the end of my bed and I remember thinking, um, like, I'm so glad I don't have any other guy's numbers, you know, because this is a perfect time when... To, like, fall like, off the wagon like, and, like... Yeah, yeah, just be, like, call someone super cute, you know. And so... <laughs> take, take me But in. there was no one... Yeah, but there was no one there because I had been, like, in a relationship for eight and a half years. And so I I was like, God, I, I need to know that I'm loved. I need to know I have community and I need courage. I need to know I'm loved, I need community, and I need courage. I need those things. And the fear dissipated, and then I finished, and I, like, fell asleep. And oddly enough, I opened – we had we had worked on something in class, and she had given me a small bottle of wine. <laughs> and, and so I poured this bottle of wine, and then, like the nerd that I am, I, I put on, like, some really meaty, meaty like um, <laughs> um, TED Talk by a theologian or something. And, and fell asleep. And then when I woke up, a friend of mine called me and said, was like, hey, are you going to 
go to this thing on Sunday? And I was like, no, I don't think so. And she's like, well, I, I really don't want to go alone. I was like, sure, I'll go. And I realized, oh my gosh, I do have community. Mm-hmm. And then, then I put all my stuff in my beat up Corolla and I come back into my apartment and I have a text message from another girlfriend who's like, me and my boyfriend just broke up. Do you mind if I just come over and hang out? And so she came over and she comes in and she gives me this card and I open the card and all the card says over and over and over is, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Mm. And then she gives me a bracelet and engraved on the bracelet is, I love you. And so she was like, she's like, you say it to us all the time, but I'm not sure you that we say it to you enough. Isn't this crazy? So I remember thinking that is like, so weird like <laughs> community and I love you that's amazing and so whatever normally I wake up in the morning and and I'm helping a friend decorate for her kids birthday party the six-year-old and I'm hanging streamers up um, in her house and a couple of friends of ours come in and the wife I notice they always wore keys around their necks and I never noticed like what the keys oh were yeah for. the keys yeah mm-hmm. and um and so is that still a thing I, I don't know. I don't know. And so she goes, it's really strange, but all morning I feel like I, I felt like I'm supposed to give you this for this season in your life. And she hands me the key necklace and engraved is the word courage. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That is pretty amazing. To this day, like I think about that so often, that feeling like I was so petrified and there were three such specific things I asked for yeah and then getting those things in less than 24 hours and that fueled me for that next season a lot just that feeling like someone's listening and I'm not as alone as I feel mm-hmm. right now and that yeah really that's helped. amazing I mean there's been I mean you know like obviously there's like the secret and there's yeah. like a lot of other books that kind of talk about mm-hmm. this concept of like um in, ti- in times when your emotions are at the most intense, right. you ask the universe for what you yeah. need, whether it's God or the universe or higher power. Yeah. And that is the time when you it will be received. Yeah. And, and that whole season mm-hmm. was so, like part of what I wrote about and write, you know, then and, and after was I would write on theology and faith and all those kind of things and doubt in the midst of faith and how that all works. And, um, and I, during that year in particular, I've never had so many things like that happen where it was just such a clear um, answer to prayer in such a specific way that maybe didn't put thousands of dollars in my bank account, right? right. But gave me that ability to like breathe through or go through the next step. Mm-hmm. And it was really powerful. And then it just, um, the fact that it was so life-changing, I think about it now as I raise my kids too. Like, just me not being alone. So I, even as a parent, I lean on the idea that there is someone helping me, there is someone near me, I'm not alone in this parenting moment. And it's really, really been helpful throughout. Yeah, and that is so powerful, I think, for everybody watching who has struggled this year during the pandemic. I mean, I kind of feel like it was a blessing in disguise for you that oh, this happened totally. like a few years ago and kind of like prepped you yeah. for this year. I mean, uh, this happened to me too, I think. I mean, I, I would say actually most of my life uh-huh. <laughs> has been in pandemic mode. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I kind of have got a little break in the actual pandemic. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, you get, you, you just, you get used to yeah. sort of adapting. Yeah, constantly yeah. having to change. And like, I think sometimes we, I don't know if this is true for you, but you, you 
you start to live in survival so much, just like survival mode, survival mode, that you don't really ask how, is this even healthy for me anymore? Right. And to a certain extent, that's such a first world problem, right? Because most people don't, most people in the world aren't going, what's my dream and how can I live it out? And it's, it was, it was a total luxury to get to have that experience of this is my dream since childhood and I'm going to try to achieve this dream. Mm -hmm. That in and of itself is absolutely a luxury. I think those things like quitter, winners never quit or quitters never win or there, we have this whole language about, um, quitting and things like that when really, um, people need to move on when it's healthy to move on. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, I felt, so bound to those dreams and that identity and then you do go through losing community and just that reality whether it's divorce or in your career not everyone's going to agree with your decision Mm -hmm. and so that was another element that was kind of hard is like there was some relational brokenness because you can't make everybody happy everybody happy exactly yeah but what a what a blessing in disguise that it was forced upon you i mean i know that sounds like no it was but yeah. I mean, ideally, that you don't want to go through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, ideally, you want to take the time to stop and reflect and right. you know work through that process. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah. however it happens, it really is a blessing if you can get through it and learn from it. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, and then I had no idea. I had no idea that there was life on the other side of not being the person or the actor or the wife I thought it was going to be. There was, I had no idea the freedom that was that was on the other side of it or the joy that was on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And my whole life today would have never happened if those dreams and desires had come to fruition. Right. Like this whole other side of my life, which is so much, so much more fulfilling. Right. Would have never happened. And two, like, um, you know, like growing up, like, you know, growing up as with a single mom, so like primarily I always I consider myself a stay-at-home mom even though I do other stuff and and like my primarily thing is being a stay-at-home mom which doesn't mean not everyone needs to be a stay-at-home mom at all. I for me it was a really intense adjustment because I didn't know any stay-at-home moms growing up. Everyone everyone's mom worked. My mom was a single mom, so obviously she worked. So, and I remember someone saying to me once, I don't think you could ever be, this was like before I had kids, I don't think you could ever be a stay-at-home mom. You wouldn't like it. And like, so that narrative like played in my mind. Um, So I never saw myself in this role as primarily a stay-at-home mom. And then that was another thing of like, am I allowed to like this? Right. Am I allowed to say this is fulfilling for me? And really kind of checking in with myself and being like, okay, it's totally okay if this is fulfilling this season and not fulfilling in the next season. So I think we don't always give ourselves enough of freedom to to recognize that life is seasons. Mm -hmm. And those seasons can look different and it's okay that they look different. And it's not, you know what I mean? And they change. Seasons change. Seasons change. That's a song, right? I don't know. (laughs) It's like a season song. But thank God it changes. I mean, it's great to have a good season. Um, It's great to, you know, and then transition into Mm -hmm. a different season. I'm going to say different, not bad. Right. And then it's great to transition again. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, as hard as it is, just remember that it is changing. Yeah. Nothing is permanent. Yeah. Especially these days. I mean, who knows what's happening out there. Exactly. It's so crazy. I don't know. (laughs) 
I'm at a loss. You are yeah. not. I was gonna. Okay, so you bought your house. When did you guys yes. buy your house? Oh yes. Yeah. So we, we have to talk about this is like the new passion start. start. Okay, so all this like old life, life crumbled, fell apart. Had to figure out new life. So I, so my husband. Um, How'd you guys meet? Oh, eHarmony. Oh my god. We totally met on eHarmony. He was the only guy I went on a date with eHarmony on. Oh. Um, and he was. I remember our first date. Wait, were you dating that other guy at the same time? <laughs> no, not the same time. No, not no, the same time. He had dumped me. You didn't get that okay. But he you dumped did, me. did you meet him on eHarmony as well? No, 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 no. Okay. I met him in real life. Yeah. Um, but he it, lost. Yeah. It just. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't work out. <laughs> And that's okay. That's because more it didn't than work okay. out, I noticed that I kept dating the same kind of people. I, I basically dated the same man over and over from the time I was like 14 on. Yeah, I think you we know? all do. Yeah, until I met my husband and, I, and my best friend Carmina said, you're a bad picker. She told me that about my ability to pick men. And so I, um, so I went on eHarmony one night because I knew I wanted a, like a family. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go totally against the grain. And I'm gonna go for, I'm gonna look for someone who is totally opposite of what is my natural, you know. Cause you, bend. cause Susie really loves, I mean, she's an artist herself. And I think, you know, you obviously attract to other artists and right. musicians, mm -hmm. you know, people that don't necessarily yeah. are very stable. I know. Did I ever, I'm not sure so, I ever dated a guy that wasn't in a band, <laughs> you know? So, um, not, nothing wrong with guys in bands. Oh no! We're I mean, we're not. I'm just joking. It's the opposite, actually. It's like you know, I think musicians are extremely attractive. Totally. Every woman thinks a musician yes. is very attractive. That, that is know. the problem because it really messes with our judgment and our rationale, right. and you know, our whole like you know system I goes know. haywire. Because haywire because that smooth voice. <sighs> um, and then they're all sad. It's not true. I'm sorry. They musician. need a comfort. But they're them. sad, and then they need a lot of validation, and they're like, "Oh, I'm just my music's not good, right?" And, and you're like, like, "What would be if you no. wrote it about me?" I know. Is this one about me? It's beautiful. Um, and then cue train wreck. I know, totally. And then there you are crying by yourself. Um, so I was like, someone totally different. Total. I'm going corporate America here. That's what I said. I'm going corporate, and so um, we. I saw him. He was a picture of him in um, volunteering in Haiti, and I had worked in Uganda. So I thought. So I emailed him, and I was like, "Where, where are you? What's your story?" And so then we went back and forth. And on our first date, I remember thinking, "He is the nicest man I've ever met in my life." Uh. And genuinely, he is the nicest guy I've ever met in my life. He so nice. And so um, I don't remember that, but apparently, like five weeks later, I told someone I was going to marry him. But we knew pretty quick. And then we got engaged, got married, and I got pregnant on our honeymoon. All within like 10 months of meeting. Are you serious? Yeah. Was it 10 months? Yes. It was very, very quick. Less than a year. Less than a year. Met the man of her dreams. Totally. Married him and got knocked up. Yes. That's amazing. It was. It was. Talk about putting things in the universe. I know. And having that manifest. Totally. And I think part of why it, it helped, I don't think I would have ever gone for him if I had still been in that, I was still writing at the time, but um, but like because I had to, because I had to finish things. And so, but if I had still been in kind of the acting world and still struggling so much in so many ways, 
And by that time, I had kind of a stable job. And, uh, you know, I had a stable job that I really enjoyed. Like, it gave me a new confidence. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure I would have had the confidence to really date someone like him. Right. Right. Because and, you didn't have, you didn't feel stable enough yes. to be like a stable partner for yes. somebody who was like exactly for that. Yeah. yeah. And then you bought your beautiful and house. And then we bought a house. I just want to get to, okay, Susie is such a talented interior designer. Thanks. I mean, it's just, her house is absolutely beautiful. Thank it's you so, so much. It's so stunning. It was so, so fun. I want to get to, like, how did this, was this always a thing of yours? Well, oddly enough, I think it was. When I was a very little girl, and we lived in this, um, you know, apartment. It's, it's weird. I still remember the address. Um, but we lived in this apartment and I would lock my bedroom door and I would rearrange my furniture all the time. So I think always there, it was in me, like mm -hmm. this desire to move things or create spaces or whatnot. And so, um, so when my husband and I bought a house in LA, we knew we were going to have to get a fixer upper. And so, um, so I, I just loved, I just automatically, whenever we walked into these broken down houses, I would be like, I see what we can do. You know, I see the vision. And so... Um, when we found our house, um, very weird story. My mom had seen this house on the market in February of that year and, um, was like, oh, was like, oh man, like, God, I want Susie and Brody to have a house like this. And she was like praying about this specific house, but it was way over our budget. And, um, then, then all the way in, like, I'm going to, everyone's going to start praying. Sorry. <laughs> I know. I keep talking about all these things. I, I can't explain it. So, um, so that's all the way in February, all the way in, um, April, um, again, we're house hunting. We can't find anything like astronomical prices. And, um, my mom sends me this text message. She's like, this house, I've been looking at this house since February and praying about it. It just dropped $165,000 in price. Go see it. And so I look at it and I'm like, there's no way we're ever going to get this house. And my eight, I call my agent and say, can I see this house today? And he can't go and the, the seller's agent couldn't go. So it was just me and my little girl and I was very pregnant at the time. Like waddling pregnant. And um, Oh my gosh, wait. Who, who are you pregnant with? Wade. Oh, wait. No, it was, Tallulah was the big one, right? Yeah, she was like, she was three. Yeah. No, but I mean like yeah. your pregnancy. Oh, because, they were both. Oh, because you had um, what too was much called? fluid. Yeah, too Poly much fluid. Polyhydraminose or something. Oh my gosh! It was honestly, crazy. it was that photo photoshopped. I know. Everybody it, thought the photo was photoshopped. Tulu was, was in ridiculous. a sauna. Does, do saunas have water, or is it just a really hot room? It was literally it was like, like a two hot tub. basketballs. It was two basketballs. People would <laughs> often ask me when I was five months pregnant. Someone was like, "When are you due?" She no. Yes. Oh my gosh. I was walking by the beach. I'm going to tell the story real quick. I was walking by the beach and this lady with my friend Brianne, Brianne Cohen, um, and this lady was like, when are you due? I was maybe five months pregnant. And so I, I told her and like in my mind, or she said, are you walking to induce labor? And I was like, I'm like five months pregnant. And, um, and so in my mind, I was like, no, no, you know, but in my mind, like, oh, so harsh. And in my mind, I go, oh, she probably doesn't have any kids. And she goes, I've had four. Oh my god. I know. Anyways, I digress. So um, I waddle up, you know, to the door with my three year old and I like knock and you know, I'm so pregnant and I'm very hormonal and I walk into this house and you could tell they had loved it. Like it was outdated but well maintained. And I'm walking through and I'm just like 
Sweaty. Like, you oh, can crying. cry. Like, there's crying, so sweaty. much love here. Aww. You know, you can just feel it. And it was like a mom who's single. She had been a single mom, and now her daughter and her grandkids live there. And her daughter was adopted, and I want to adopt so bad. And so so we started talking, and and um, and um then and then we got the house, I think, because then the step, you know, the other times I went to see it, I would cry. And I think she was just like, I better, I better give this chick the home. And then when we went to do the inspection, I went into early labor. Oh, really? Yeah, but then I went to the doctor and they gave me some medicine that stopped it. But isn't that funny? So we got into this house and we got the keys on June 1st. Wow. And so I only, and then I had the kid June 12th. So I only had that amount of time to meet all the contractors and everything. And we redid the entire house. It's From amazing. Top to bottom. Oh my gosh, it's really stunning. What style would you what what style would you say it is? Well, our home is traditional. So I really do believe that spaces When was it built? It was built in 77. Okay. So I really believe that spaces that you don't want to like it's a traditional home, so I'm not going to go in and deck the, and, and like do full modern. Do full modern because that's not the space, right? So I really believe in creating something that's cohesive to the structure in and of itself. So I knew it was kind of traditional, which actually is not my style. Mm-hmm. But but I wanted to honor the home. Sounds so cheesy, but I really do. I want to honor. It's important the home. though, because yes. there's nothing worse than having like like an Art Deco house uh-huh. or something, and then it's got like neon then, lights in yeah. it. Yeah, or like farmhouse. Like, yeah, like explain that one to me. <laughs> so um, so I really wanted cre- wanted to create something that was cohesive to the home itself, but also um, would work with our style. Now. A few things that I did wrong is I assumed we would flip this house. Like we would sort of, we would live in it for three years and then we would move, which we ended up loving all our neighbors and like never want to leave and want to remodel. So, but when I went in, the first thing I did was like, what, um, what sells homes quickly? So kitchens and bathrooms, what do people want in the home? So I did kind of a traditional, um, plan that looks like wood flooring. So I basically did everything that I could to appeal to the most amount of buyers, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, everything for scrape ceilings, add air conditioning, a lot of things under the walls that you can't see. And then within the home itself, I wanted, we're pretty, we're not too far from, we're on the west side, so not too far from the ocean. So I really wanted to create this sense of when you walk in, it's kind of, the home feels like an exhale. And it just feels like And it does, really, it's very spacious. Yeah. And it's got that 70s feel mm-hmm. where it's kind of, it feels very Brady Bunch. I yeah, say. like there's high ceilings yeah, high and a, ceiling, lot a lot of space. space open plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then um, just going through the process of sourcing all the materials myself. So we, we did, I don't want to say how much we spent, but we did everything for a really surprisingly reasonable cost. And then um, our return on investment was like over 200%, which wow. is nuts. So... Well, not nuts if you're a professional flipper, but nuts if you're a first-time home buyer. So that created in me like this whole other passion of design and maybe not a whole new, because I always watch design shows and obviously I had it when I was a kid, but it's like creating a home and creating spaces that offer peace and comfort and um, give you a specific feeling became so important to me. So our whole house, and especially with having kids, I want their home to be peaceful. And living in the middle of the city, the mm-hmm. fact that their home felt peaceful and safe and light and airy became so much more important because pre-pandemic, you know, I'm picking up my daughter from school, from preschool, which is maybe a 15-minute drive with no traffic, but it's 45 minutes on the way home. 
And so really needing to create for the kids something where they could be around a lot of traffic, be kind of this hectic lifestyle, but when they're home, home is safe, mm -hmm. home is peaceful, home is comforting. That was really important to me. So I totally fell in love with design. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's not amazing to me, but it's amazing that you kind of like picked it up so quickly. Because I feel like, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a professionally trained, I'm not an interior designer, but I'm not like, I didn't, you know, I, I guess I didn't have any training or whatever. So when I do it, it's just kind of like throwing it all together and uh -huh. see what happens. Your her apartment was amazing. But I'm, but I'm saying ever. like, you know, but half of my, like my entire apartments either come from a thrift store or the street or, mm -hmm. you know, something because I never had a lot of money to spend. Right. So yeah, it Which was always we like. We did either our whole furniture budget for the whole house. The whole furniture budget, including rugs, was $3,000. Where did you go shopping? Uh, Amazon, which is really hard for small businesses. Yes. But our bed, the bed frame that we got was only $132. Um, but uh, Ikea. 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 And I mean, also, yeah, mm -hmm. but, you know. Yeah. And so places like that. And then some antiques that I threw in there um, from my mom that were free. Um, so places that makes like it that. so personal, I think. It, I mean, I think if you can, yeah, if you can get free mm -hmm. stuff from friends and family, that's what really makes, yes. creates the home as creates well. Creates a home. And then really, it was really important to me that the whole home looked cohesive. Mm -hmm. So that when you walk in, you, it's a continuous story rather than spaces feeling like, oh, it's just random there. Yeah. You know what I mean? That mm -hmm. the whole home creates a, an environment. Now, I will say my husband's office, he decorated, and that... What's in it? Um... Uh, a really bright red rug that he Excuse loved me. because it's from his family when they lived in Okinawa. So it's a beautiful piece, just doesn't necessarily match. But it can stay in the office. office. Yeah, it can stay yes. in. Just close the door. Yeah. And there's tons of bookshelves. And I also kind of lean toward minimalism, so I don't like a lot of books. I like to read books on my Kindle. Mm -hmm. um, occasionally, I'll decorate with books, but um, is it just the covers? Just the covers. <laughs> you stick. Yes. Just so you can see, no one's ever going to read it. We have these old, this old antique um, set of books, and um, it's this really pretty sage green color. So, mm -hmm. so that's around the house, not for reading, just decoration, for decor. Yeah. So it totally became fun, and then and then um, I got to start working with some of my friends, helping them with their homes and their rooms and things like that. And it's just been so fun to just get to um, take that thing that. I have that's kind of natural to me and and let other people experience it yeah that's awesome and we're gonna collab together yes. we have to do something yes, I've sure. been I've been thinking about it for so long um, but maybe we can do an Ikea hack let's do have, it if you have <gasps> Ikea stuff my I love doing couch Ikea is hacks. Ikea one of my couches is Ikea yes you have the soda 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 home yes soda that's home. it it's a great couch I love it it's it's in the formal living room that has the doggy gate Mm -hmm. Or the kid gates that are doggy gates. My husband always says, because hardly anyone goes in that room, so my husband's always like, it's just like a picture. It's just like a picture. You just turn, there's a picture. <laughs> it's there. And, and it's true. It's, it looks like a showroom. Thanks. Thanks. No yeah. one's allowed in there. <laughs> I'm not even allowed it to sit on the couch if I'm wearing self tanner. Oh, self tan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> there's been many a nights with like me and the woolite. Like scrubbing, yeah. So it doesn't. Oh well, price yeah. you gotta pay. I know, price you gotta pay for a white couch. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm but otherwise, it's yeah, it's just so fun. It's just so amazing that everything can fall apart and then you can survive it into something that's joyful. Yes, and it's so important to know that right now because mm -hmm. when you're in it, it's you can't see clearly. Obviously, you're yeah. just like 
in survival mode. Yes. Like living day to day. I think most of us are like that right now. Yes. So yeah, it's so important to know that the seasons change, mm-hmm. and you know uh, the law of the universe is balance. Mm-hmm. So there'll always be good times, there'll always be bad times, but they will always balance each other out. Mm-hmm. So yes, this too shall this too shall pass, and and ugh, it's just so hard right now for so many people and so many people in my family. It's really hard for. Yeah. And I think that's where community comes in, and mm-hmm. it's so important to have community and have safe and healthy community. And um, that's just so important to remember that we can't do this alone. I think that's another thing yeah. that we kind of can hear when you're young and you realize it's totally a lie. The idea that pe- anyone does it alone. No one does it alone. Right. And we're not meant to do it alone. We're not either. meant to. We're relational yeah. creatures and we need relationships. And so, you know, if when people have a lot, they can share mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, ensures that everyone has something. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. That was so fun. I love you, Mish. I love you. And thank you, everybody, for for joining us. I hope you had a great time and listening to Susie's stories. And I'm going to post in the description her Instagram page and where you can also see her on the web. Yes. Oh, and I do a little show with my friend who's a comedian, Kira Pomeroy. She's a comedian. I come and sit and talk to her. It's called Two Tired Moms. Yes, and I will put that in the description yeah, so you can more. check that out. That's great. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend. Have a and great I'll, night. We'll see you next week. So exciting. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode with Susie Eldridge. If you enjoyed it, be sure to leave a good review and follow us on all of our social medias at Rock and Cushions. And you can always go to our website, rockandcushions.com, to find affordable slipcovers for all of your IKEA furniture. On the next episode, Michelle and Ali sit down with Larissa Brown-White, an ex-supermodel who's currently a vintage fashion store owner.